I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. For 12-pack radio, get excited, y'all. Oh, shoot, sucker, we're back. Welcome back to 12-pack radio, the most interesting podcast in your face, covering Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 basketball news, Pac-12 recruiting news. This is Brian Conger, the host. We took a little time off. We took a little time off. But we're better for it. We are in the midst of our research on our 2019 completely uncalled for Pac-12 football preview magazine. That's happening. We're doing our research right now. We're in the bowels, the filthy, filthy bowels of the Pac-12 offseason. Doing all of our research. We're going through just disgusting offensive line depth charts at Oregon State. We're doing it for you, very <laughs> and happy to do it. Um, thank you again for subscribing to the podcast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to us for free on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. We're on Spotify now. You can follow us on Twitter at 12pack Radio at one two p a c radio. And I'm, I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna tap dance anymore. I'm not gonna dance. We're gonna get to the the real meal, and that is the necromancer of numbers, the Lord of logarithms. The creator of the Beta Rank Advanced College Football Statistical Model, Mr. Rob Bowen. What's going on, Rob? I'm uh, I'm excited to be here. I've uh, I've updated uh, the Beta Rank numbers for next season, um, and I already have I already have the full schedules up for every conference. I think except the MAC and Conference USA. I have win probabilities up for every game for every team. Those two conferences, I don't have their conference schedules yet. So I need to, I'm waiting on that. Awesome. And you can dig those at wildcatradioaz.com, our website. And we'll probably do a, a name switch at some point. So we got to talk about that off air here, Rob, because <laughs> when, we're, when we're talking Conference USA, I don't know if people are going to look towards Wildcat Radio as their go-to website, but check that out in the meantime. And I am, we are, we are back. I, this is one of my favorite guests that we have. There's, there's like the, the trio. I don't want to say there's a, rap, a Matt Rushmore because there's only three of them, really. And uh, one of our favorite guests is Mr. Max Meyer from Sports Illustrated Gambling, one of the uh, wizards of the Pac-12. Very nice to have you back on. What's going on, Max? Well, I'm honored that I made the trio. (laughs) Well, I'm guessing just after our our last podcast, hopefully we made some people some money with our Oregon Pac-12 title future. Uh, And we don't have to talk about Oregon State or Stanford both losing in the first round by double digits. Yeah, no, just happy to move on to football now. It's all about a diversified portfolio if you're gambling, right? So you want to get a couple futures out there, and we certainly hit one of them. And I had a lot of fun talking Pac-12 basketball. But, Max, my uh, I got introduced to you and the work that you were doing over at USC. And then, of course, now you've gone to Sports Illustrated through your uh, your Pac-12 football content. Like, you did a great job covering USC at all sports. But I was introduced to you in regards to um, just your coverage, not just of USC, but also of the entire conference. I think you have 
a really good handle on the the conference, the players, and then of course the most important part, which is gambling. So, what was your uh, general impressions <laughs> of 2018 uh, when you were looking at the Pac-12? Um, well, the, pa- the Pac-12 is certainly it's a, it's a wonky conference, um, and typically. Uh, the the most overvalued teams are usually or right now it's usually USC and Oregon and with the uh, head coaching situations with Clay Helton and Mario Cristobal, those are two coaches that are tough to trust and easy to uh, bet against. And so I, I like to bet against those two. And then also typically I just I I really like betting on a lot of underdogs. And, and last year it was certainly painful losing week after week on Oregon State and their atrocious run defense. But for the most part, it's been successful. No, absolutely. And we had some, I wouldn't say surprises, but some teams that that popped up finally. Um, I think Utah made a breakthrough a year earlier than we had anticipated. That defense came together. Even with an inconsistent quarterback place, he had them taking the South. I think most people anticipated Washington to, to end up finishing first in the North. But you had a team like Washington State where on paper you looked at that team and went, okay, they brought in a grad transfer whose like accuracy was about 56% and their offensive line is kind of a mess and they lost their defensive coordinator. And the fact that they were able to pull all of that together, win 12 games is, uh, was really impressive. And then some of the teams that, you know, like you, like you mentioned, Max, that you traditionally think of when like Oregon is a good example, ends up going nine and four total, but only five and four in the conference. I think Stanford had a couple hiccups along the way. Rob, when we've already dipped our toe in the water, we're dipping the second toe here when it comes to the Pac-12. So when you were looking back at the standings, what are some things that stood out for you? I mean, you hit on it a, a bit. I mean, it was it was amazing to see because Washington State two years ago was a, a defense first team. And even with Luke Falk and, and Tyler Holinsky coming at a quarterback, they were not a great offense. And I did not have any kind of expectations coming in. And they ended up being the number six offense in the country in beta rank last season. I mean, just an incredible offense with Gardner Minshew. Um, I think I was a little surprised. I was surprised by how good UCLA's uh, offensive line ended up gelling and coming together. I think we had a lot of questions with that coming into camp. Uh, They were moving defensive tackles over (laughs) to to play offensive line. And the guy ended up starting all season and playing really well. Um, But I mean, some things and some things, you know, injury related Arizona's offense wasn't anything like the, what we'd seen the season before. Uh, But some things really were as expected. I mean, UCLA's defense wasn't very good. Uh, ASU's defense maybe wasn't quite what we would have expected. Um, You know, Colorado started out hot, but then came back to really where we had them pegged at the beginning of the season. Yeah, with the the Red Baron himself, who will be back, by the way. Very excited to watch Steven Montez sling the ball around one more time. So, Max, we had we did pretty well on this podcast last year. I think I did about 65% picking the Pac-12. Rob did above 55%, so we both placed in the money. And that includes, like, we, we had to pick every game, and that included uh, the non-conference schedules and stuff. But, you know, I was trying to think as we were, we were right about to talk, I was kind of prepping for this podcast, thinking, like, what – what strategies did I use? And really it was just game by game analysis. I know some people tend to look at specific teams and just ride them. Like I'm, I'm going to go hard with Stanford this year. I'm going to go hard with USC this year or whatever. Um, Are there any other strategies that you tend to stick to, or do you really do a game by game breakdown every time? Um, Well, I I actually, the PAC 12 has done a lot better job with this, even compared to like two years ago. Um, and I'm talking about scheduling because there were just some PAC 12 teams that would be put in horrendous yeah. situations and they were really easy to fade, even if they were viewed as the superior team, because 
playing a Friday night road game on, on short rest is a massive disadvantage. And especially if you're like traveling to like Utah or Colorado or something like that. But the Pac-12 admittedly has gotten better with that, but it's still, it's, it's so the campuses are so spread out. So sometimes that's something to definitely look at. Um, and then I, I'd say for the most part, it's, it's game by game for me. Um, you just have to remember that, you know, teams aren't as bad as they look the previous week or they're not as good as they look the previous week. You just have to be even keeled and try not to overreact to uh, the previous week or even two weeks ago's results. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the the scheduling aspects and the PAC 12 has finally started to make some progress and headway on that front. But the game that sticks out for me was that USC, I think it was a Friday night game at the Palouse. And like a year before when I saw that in the schedule, like that's a loss. There's no way that they're going to win that game. And lo and behold, Wazoo came in and, um, and kind of knocked USC off of a perch, which was a bummer because it hurt the Pac-12 in terms of the bowl access and all that stuff and the money that we get from there. Who are some teams, Mac, that, Max, that stand out for you in regards to uh, teams that you think will be pretty strong? And then maybe some teams that you're going to look to fade at the beginning of the Year. All right. Uh, the team that I'm definitely highest on, I love Utah. Um, they do lose a couple key contributors on defense, but they also return uh, three first team all Pac 12 defenders, uh, including two on the defensive line and star cornerback Jalen Johnson, who could end up being a, a, a first round NFL draft pick next year. But then, so they still have uh, some really strong defensive pieces, even though they lose the linebacking tandem of uh, Chase Hansen and Cody Barton. And then on offense, they just have so much. Uh, can uh, they just return so much? And I really think that Zach Moss, their star running back, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. And I, I think the power run game is really the Utah is going to be a very physical team. And I, I just I think that this is their their year that they fully break through and win the uh, Pac-12 completely. Do you trust Tyler Huntley, though? I think that's the biggest question mark on my end, is can they actually put that that quarterback position together? Because if they do, now we're not just talking about them winning the Pac-12 South. We're talking about them getting a New Year's Eve or New Year's type of game, which would be great for the conference. Yeah, no, Huntley's definitely been inconsistent. And even, uh, I mean, Utah had Jason Shelley uh, play a few games at quarterback last year, and he looked fine. But um, from what I've been reading, Huntley's looked really strong um, so far, uh, during, or, well, he did go strong at, at spring camp and, and it seems like the senior quarterbacks turned a corner and they also have Britton Covey. That's a uh, really, really solid wide out, but I, I still think they're going to lean heavily on Moss, but they are going to need Huntley to make a couple big throws in some of these huge games that they, uh, played this season in order for them to win 10, 11 games. And I, I think he can do that. Rob, you were a big fan of uh, Utah this coming year, and I think we were both pretty high in Utah as the season started, but the, the fact that they were able to hit that second gear early, what was it that you, you know, what was it that made them get to that point where they were a year early, and what did you like about them going into 2018 and now in 2019? Well, last season, their offense wasn't great, but it was usually good enough. Um, and their defense, I mean, really, we had big questions about, you know, the linebacking core coming into the season. But as, as Max pointed out, I mean, they, they really gelled and came together. Um, the defense was, again, very, very good. Utah had solid special teams. Um, and they were able to, to, to run the ball in most games. That really helped. I, I think if you come into this season, if they have question, question mark, it's offensive line depth. 
Um, so if, if they can avoid injuries and sort of get through uh, get through the early season clean, um, I think they have a really good shot. And I, I like they replaced their offensive coordinator with Andy Ludwig, uh, who used to be a coach at Utah, and he was most recently the OC at Vanderbilt. I'm, I'm excited. I think that's a really good hire for them. He had a he had a really good offense last season at Vanderbilt. Max, have you been to a game at Salt Lake? I have not. Oh, it's definitely on the bucket list because I I mean. The only experience that I've had with Utah fans acting somewhat as a home environment is in Vegas in the Pac-12 tournament. Their fans are fun. Yeah, they are. And then it's that stadium is so fun. I know they're expanding it. I think it's right now it's like 45,000 seats. It's this tiny, tiny stadium, but it's built in a way where it gets really loud. And Salt Lake City is just a beautiful city. Like, and I know people will make the jokes about the alcohol content and all that stuff, but like, just go. It's, it's totally an amazing trip. The, the atmosphere is great. We were there for a night game too. So it was particularly loud and good food, just a good city in general. So highly recommend it. But where it was, uh, so how, like how many stadiums have you been to actually max in the pac 12 uh usc ucla stanford cal boulder and washington of uh now taking aside usc and ucla because you know a little home cook in there um which which uh, atmosphere did you enjoy the most well i mean it's just hard to top the atmosphere i i think in washington just whether it's the scene or, or the, or the crowd, I just think that that combination and the stadium is absolutely beautiful, but I'm I'll always be uh, partial to the Rose bowl just because of the history. And, and, and when the sun goes down and, and there's just no, I it's, it's my favorite scene in sports, to be honest. Oh, the sailgating too. I haven't been able to do that yet, but our friends of the dog pot, I'm sure are going to have us because <laughs> I think Arizona plays this year. They, they haven't invited us yet, but we just invited ourselves. Um, Hey, Rob, so let's take a look at Utah. So the season win total for them is eight and a half. The over, you have to lay some juice. It's minus 150 to lay over one and a half or eight and a half wins. The under is uh, plus 123. So you get a little juice on that front. Uh, You you said you like them. And Max, I know that you're a big fan of them too. Rob, what do you, uh, what is the beta rank project and what do you project on your own? Or are you going to stick by your numbers? You'll probably stick by your numbers, so don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> I, would, I would like to add that for the season win totals last season, I won. And I mostly leaned on beta rank for, <laughs> for, for picking out the season win totals. Um, yeah, I mean, the model really likes Utah coming in. Um, they come in at number 21 overall to start out in beta rank. Uh, number 26 on offense, oddly enough, 26 on defense, some nice symmetry there. Um, but the model likes them on their expected win probability at 8.96, so closer to nine wins than eight. And, um, and it likes them to win uh, six and a quarter games in the conference, which is, is a good number. Um, they've got, they've got a, a pretty favorable schedule. Yeah, I think right now the model, to be frank, I think is – and this is, this is tough because it, you – I don't have a specific variable in the preseason model to handle what I think is Clay Helton underachieving with talent at USC, but USC has recruited so well that they end up always end up coming into the season projecting better uh, under Clay Helton than they've been. Um, so right now that that game with USC with with Utah is a toss up in the model because USC's recruited so well. I don't think it really will be. I think Utah's got a better shot in that game. I I, I like Utah to. 
to to get to, to ten wins this season. Oh snap, ten wins! That would be awesome. They are so so. Their three games uh, in the non conference schedule are super mellow. So they're at BYU. I understand that's a rivalry game. It can get pretty heated there. It certainly did last year, um, but a manageable game. You have Northern Illinois at home, and then Idaho State at home, and then really uh, they they do have a game at Washington and a game like you mentioned, Rob, at USC. I don't know. That's pretty. That's pretty nasty, man. I like the over. What do you think, Max? Well, I, um, there's one sports book that I've seen individual game lines for, and that's Bet Online. And I thought the most telling was that Utah was only a three point underdog at Washington, and I think that Vegas really, really respects this Utah team. And then schedule wise, you net like the, the out of conference schedule. That's easy, um, and I just think that they have a they have a favorable schedule overall. And I know I'm kind of. Uh, this is the trap I fell into with falling in love with Arizona uh, before the season last year because Arizona's schedule was a dream, but they but they still fell flat. But I just think that this Utah team is much more complete overall than Arizona. It, it was just tough. Um, the Quill Kate hype train, I guess, was a little too much for me. Um, but I I think that Utah can win ten games as well. Right on, and and. I know we're talking a lot about Utah, but they had to win the hard way last year. They had a really nasty schedule, and I think that was one of the hiccups that I had in regards to, all right, can they really make the leap this year? I know that USC has underachieved at times, but gosh, look at that friggin' defense that they had and all that stuff. And of course, you know, Utah ends up popping up and ended up finally taking the conference. I think every single Pac-12 team has finally won the Pac-12 South now, which is pretty exciting. Um, Max, where else do you want to go? Uh, what's another team you want to talk about? Um I actually, so I know I said Oregon and USC were like the two brand Pac-12s that I like to fade, but I feel like this year for me, it's going to be Stanford. Um, Stanford's definitely been a model of consistency uh, under David Shaw, but I, last year's team, there was just something off about them and they, they, uh, they only returned three starters on offense. I know one of them is obviously their quarterback, KJ Costello, and another is uh, their stud offensive lineman Walker Little, but no Bryce Love, no uh, JJ Arcega Whiteside. Uh, they lose a good amount of their offensive line, and that offensive line really, really struggled last year. And yeah. then their defense gave up. Their defense gave up over 400 yards uh, a game as well. And they also they have a tough schedule, and especially yeah. to open up the year. Um, so uh, people just see like they see David Shaw, they see Stanford, and they think, oh, they're going to finish nine and three. Uh, that's their floor. I could totally see Stanford finishing with six, seven wins this year. I think they can fall off a cliff too. And, and we were talking about with I was talking with Hithliday about this on the Quack Twelve podcast, and he said Max almost the exact same thing that you had talked about right now. And in addition to that, one of the biggest adjustments that we made on this podcast was when he brought up the fact that. That Stanford can't run, Rob. <laughs> like they couldn't run the ball yeah. at all, and it wasn't just Bryce Love; it was the offensive line there. Yeah, I mean the line was terrible last season, um, and so it's it's hard to. I mean, you you'd be hard pressed with as well as Stanford is recruited on the line to say that they would be worse. But um, I mean, if there's if there's one favorable thing, as as Max mentioned, you bring you back your quarterback. He's probably. I mean, I I think Costello at this point. Justin Herbert needs to get that completion percentage up for me to be sold on him. Costello is probably the best returning QB in the, in the conference. That said, um, man, they rank 106 in returning production on offense. That's not good. <laughs> um, they come in at number, uh, number, uh, 37 overall, uh, in beta rank, um, number 35 on offense, 28 on defense. And, and Max is right. That schedule is 
brutal. Beta rank has him at 6.23 expected wins and 4.93 uh, in the conference. So uh, when you have a non-conference of Northwestern, UCF, and Notre Dame, that's that's a tough road to hoe. I just, I, I can't, I, I think I'm with you, Max. I, I wish we had a season win total on them, which we don't. I know that one of the games of the week was Stanford was a four-point um, which we should lead me into USC because I really want to talk with you about SC. So Stanford is a four point dog going into USC uh, week two, which is a big game. Uh, talk to us about USC and, and what do you think about that game? Well, I was going to say, so that line I think opened at four, three and a half and it's down to three. Okay. And I think that that's more of the betting public being so against USC more than on Stanford. And I actually, so USC is interesting to me because I have been so down on Clay Helton. I've faded them often, uh, especially this, this past season. And, um, and two years ago, I really, really faded this team. And, and they've been coming up uh, with barely any covers so that that's been helpful. But I just think that the national perception is now so down on USC that they might be an interesting buy back candidate. Now, their, their beginning of the year schedules is also tough. Um, they do face a Fresno State team that lost a lot, but Jeff Tedford, I, I really respect him as a coach, but they have the Stanford game. Um, they have Notre Dame. They have Washington, and those are some tough um, matchups to start the year, and especially for a, a, a team that has Clay Helton on the hot seat. But I'm really interested to see the offense under Graham Harrell um, I just think that with the air raid, it's going to be a lot of quick and easy reads for JT Daniels, who I expect to be the starter, even though he was definitely up and down his freshman year. But this team has talent. It's just they they they're they're totally they uh, their reputation has been totally soured because Clay Helton is is not a good coach. Um, but I, I'm in, but I don't know. Like if the win total is seven, that's or or if it somehow even falls to six and a half, and I'm I'm really interested to see what these early uh, spreads are to start the season. But I think that USC, I can't believe I'm saying this, might be an interesting buy low candidate. <laughs> well, Rob, I know you have like a gazillion questions for Max, uh, particularly on the offensive coordinator and what's going on over at USC. Let's ask them, but right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, I think the the Harrell hire is interesting. He's no... He's he's sort of your knockoff Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury off brand, if you will. Um, his his North Texas offense. He's is, the Puma of uh, yeah. He's the, <laughs> 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 the, he, he might be the New Balance. <laughs> um, I just I, I I don't think his North Texas offenses were as good. I mean, he certainly never put up the kind of offensive numbers that Kingsbury had either at A and M or at Texas Tech. Um, now, granted, those are both Power Five conference, you know, teams. But I think, I mean, Harold should open it up. Uh, it should make things easier for the read. But even if they go away from the run, 
um, which I, I could see them doing. Uh, I, I still, I, I was surprised last season how bad the offensive line was at run blocking, given how many starters they returned. Um, you know, uh, it, it makes you question whether they, they really have solid coaching or along the offensive line. Um, and I, and I, I still, I think I carry that question in and they're, they have some, they have some really good talent at the top end of the wide receiver. I don't know if you start having to run four and five wide receiver sets a lot that they have the depth. Um, so it's USC is going to be really interesting to me. And and I, I actually think Clancy Pendergast has really underperformed as a, a D coordinator. They returned a ton last season on defense. And even with the injuries, they were still bad um, compared to where they should have been. So I, I agree that I think USC is a little bit of a, you could you could you could make some money maybe buying low on them right now. Beta rank has them at twenty three coming into the season, about closer to eight wins, seven point seven three in expected wins. Um, but a lot of beta ranks projections just based on recruiting. So um, yeah, they're they're an enigma to me. So you're definitely right about you're definitely right about the offensive line. I, that, that's been the biggest bugaboo for USC the past several years, and everyone was optimistic last year because they I I believe they had three. Yeah, they had three senior starters on the offensive line. And I was like, you know what? Show, it, like, I'll believe it when it actually happens. And sure enough, the offensive line just torpedoed. And I think actually a lot of that was um, – I hate to blame one player, but the fact that USC had a center in Toa Lobendon who didn't know how to snap the ball consistently, that shot USC in the foot so many times. And yeah, that's true. And it absolutely killed possessions. And and their new projected starting center, Brett Nealon, I mean, just based off what I, I read, that the snapping has definitely not been an issue. Um, they, they they bring back like their offensive line isn't definitely isn't as experienced as last year, um, but they still have two guys in Austin Jackson at left tackle and Andrew Voorhees at um, at right guard who appeared in all twelve games, and then the other starters, Nealon. Uh, Jalen McKenzie and Elijah Barrett Tucker, they all appeared in games last year. So it could definitely be worse, but they bring, uh, well, they, they bring back Tim Drevno and, and he's back as uh, their offensive line coach, which I think can only be an upgrade, but I'm still in like that same position. Like I'll believe it when I see it, but I think that the air raid with the quicker reads, um, Daniel's having more experience because there were some plays where he held onto the ball way too long last year. Um, I think that, the offensive line will definitely be getting more help uh, with the new offense in place. So I'm, I'm a little optimistic there. Um, and then the wide receivers, you're, you're absolutely right. I think that they're, they're three, their top three wideouts in um, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Tyler Vaughn, and Michael Pittman. That could be the best three wideout outside of Alabama in the country. Um, and then, uh, their fourth wideout actually is interesting. It's, uh, it's a guy named Devin Williams. He's six, four, um, and he has good speed. He has good size, uh, in camp. He was a, a deep threat and a red zone weapon. Um, I, I think if he emerges, that would, that would definitely help, especially in the worst case scenario that one of those three top wideouts, um, gets hurt. And I mean, USC, they did lose a, a ton of, uh, quite a few wide receivers uh, in terms of lost recruiting commitments or transfers this past offseason, which doesn't help the depth, but I still think they'll be fine enough at wide out that there shouldn't be any problems barring injury. I'm just, 
like JT Daniels, man. <laughs> like the guy just would hit the Y button, you know, and he'd just tap it and just throw that ball way up in the air for somebody to catch it. And I, Max, have never in I'd say the last five years of watching Pac-12 football seen more coverage given to a quarterback that was not that great. I mean, it kind of like I don't know if you're a WWE fan, but when the announcers go really crazy over, oh, my God, that's Al Snow's music. You're like, yeah, you know, like he's fine, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> like That was kind of the way that announcers would cover J.D. Daniels. Do you think he has that? I mean, obviously, he's a true freshman. There's a lot of expectations that go with that. But I was just not impressed at all with what he brought to the table. And I know that that sophomore year is supposed to be where you make the biggest leap. Do you think he has that in him? I, uh, it's, it, it's tough for me to just go all in and saying that Daniels is a mediocre quarterback at best after what turned out to be a worst case scenario season last year. His offensive line was a dumpster fire. His coaching was a dumpster fire. Granted, he doesn't have the best tools. Like his arm strength isn't anything special. Uh, he's not that athletic. Uh, his size isn't great, so he's not exactly like the uh, prototypical like first-round quarterback pick based off of that, and his decision-making at times was abysmal. But I still want to give him the benefit of the doubt because he did have that five-star pedigree. But granted, USC has had some five-star quarterbacks in the past that did not pan out at all, like uh, Max Wittick, Max Brown. So Daniels could definitely be the latest in that line. Um, but I still want to give him the benefit of the doubt because it, it is tough to be a freshman, a true freshman starting quarterback and, and given all this pressure um, when the rest of the team is, is collapsing around you. So I think I'll be able to, like, USC's first six games are really tough, but I think that you should be able to get a grasp then if Daniels is ready to make the leap um, over that stretch because, it, I mean, if if he just reverts to his freshman year ways and they fall to two and four, Helton might be fired by then, and it'll be another lost season for USC. That was kind of what I was thinking. So you open, SC opens with Fresno State at home. What are they doing, Max? What are they doing? Like, I guess Tim DeRuiter is probably the coach at that point when they when they scheduled this game. But uh, Fresno State is a really good, well coached team. They have an excellent defense. They knocked off UCLA last year. They knocked off. uh, ASU and, and beat them pretty handily in the uh, in their bowl game. How, let's say let's say for sake of argument that SC drops either that game or a game to Stanford. Um, you know how many like is is he going to be the coach the entire year if they end up starting to tailspin early or, or do you think the administration will at least carry that till the end of the year? I, I just. I mean, you're you. I mean, SC is SC. SC should always have an excellent coach and should always have the resources and should always have the players. And um, that just that coach portion has just been missing for so long. Yeah, I mean, USC has just been they've been really unstable um, with their athletic department and having Lynn Swan as the head guy definitely uh, is an exception. But I mean, their last two big uh, coaching hires, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, Kiffin was fired midseason. Uh, even after that was the year after USC was preseason number one and then went seven and six that season. And everyone wanted Kiffin gone then, but Pat Hayden was like, you know what, let's, let's give him another shot. And that, that uh, spiraled. And then the other one was uh, Steve Sarkeesian. And granted it was his alcohol troubles that really um, caused his departure, but he was real. He was not doing that great either. And I, I don't think Sarkeesian would have been fired in the middle of the season um, if the alcohol problems weren't a factor then, but I don't know if he would have survived um, a, a third season at USC. So it wouldn't surprise me if Swan is out 
as athletic director even before football season started, and then it would be trying to find a new athletic director, and, and Clay Helton obviously wouldn't be attached to that athletic director. So it, it'll be really interesting to see if what happens leading up to football season because that could be very telling. Yeah, it'd be open season, um, which would be good. I think it'd be nice to to see SC really push. I think the Pac-12 needs another another team to balance out Washington. And uh, talk about expectations. I would be so happy if Lane Kiffin was Arizona's coach right now. Like I would just be over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, th- I think Max is right. If you look at that middle of October, going back to something you said, uh, you know, we just started talking about USC after they finished with Notre Dame on ten twelve. The schedule lightens up. I mean, you may have, I mean, Clay Hilton could be long gone by then because they play a string of tough, disciplined defenses. I mean, even that Stanford, I mean, Adebo is the truth in that secondary, and Dwayne Aquina can coach. Um, then they get BYU. Kalani Sataki has that defense rolling. Utah, never an easy out with the defense. Washington, they return zero people, uh, but they've recruited pretty well on defense. Um, and Notre Dame's got a good defense, but then you roll in, you get Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, you know, do you trust them or not? USC, I think USC, you could probably make some money with them as, as being sort of like uh, in, in the shadow at that point on the back half of the season. That road game at BYU, if USC pulls off a win against Stanford, that has letdown game written all over it. Mm. Yeah. I also think if you make the coaching change, oftentimes you see the team play a little bit better. They're playing more loose. Um, That's a really good point, Rob. Um, Let's go into some of the new coaches uh, from this past year and just talk about their performance. And so you had Arizona with with Kevin Sumlin. You had Herm Edwards at ASU. You had Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. And then who's the – oh, yeah, and then Mr. Potato. uh, You had uh, Chip Kelly over at UCLA. Let's start with UCLA. They came into the season – um, I, there. Look, the expectations. I think we all would agree that were pretty low, right, Max, for UCLA coming in last year. Uh, last year, last year they they were kind of a mystery to me, but I I just thought that they would definitely finish below uh, Arizona, Utah, and USC, and then I wasn't I wasn't sure about the other teams, uh, Colorado and Arizona State. So I had them at, as fourth place at best, but I wouldn't have been shocked if they finished in last. And they finished three and nine. Um, at least they came on a little bit at the end. You know, as, as somebody that spent a lot of time in Los Angeles, I'm sure you you saw a lot of UCLA football. Um, I, I still think that's a disappointing season. I know that he basically <laughs> put everybody, uh, you know, lined him up and basically said, you're running my program or you're not playing. And so you had a lot of those kind of four-star type of players just not see the field or see the field sparingly. Um, you had a, a basically a walk-on running back. Um, how, how would you cl- clarify, classify, I guess, his season at UCLA? And do you think he's going to even ha- at least have some improvement moving in the next year? Well, I, I just think that – the the USC win to end the year really, really put things in favor of Kelly because the fact is that UCLA felt better about them, felt much better about themselves as a program than USC did. And I really think that that went a long way um, in terms of maybe the slightly inflated grades for Kelly's year, even though he finished three and nine. But it, in college football, it, it, sometimes it really is about how you finish. And UCLA was one of the better Pac-12 teams uh, in that final month. And so there's definitely going to be some optimism um, with, I mean, they bring back, well, they, it was a mix of Wilton Spate, who I was never a really big fan <laughs> of. And then, and then Dorian Thompson Robinson, who I think definitely has tools. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there. 
Uh, and then they also have, they have a good running back in, in Joshua Kelly. And even they, they had this speedster that I wish got more of an opportunity in, yeah. in Casimir Allen. But um, I think that, I, well, I feel like the one uh, departure on the offensive event, I really, really always liked Caleb Wilson. I thought that he was yeah. a really strong pass catcher. And so I think that departure is actually slightly underrated. But UCLA, I, there's just so much uncertainty to me in, in the Pac-12 South besides um, Utah. And I, if all things break right, I mean, I, I wouldn't shock me to see UCLA as a bowl team this year. What do you think their ceiling is, Rob? I'd be I'd be surprised. I mean, I, I'm not uh, I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'd be surprised just because the schedule is so tough to see them in a bowl. Uh, I mean, they had a tough schedule last season. I mean, they have they're on the road. I'm going to go to this game because it's just down the road for me in Cincinnati. Uh, they're playing at Cincinnati. Luke Fickle has Cincinnati rolling, <laughs> so Cincinnati is favored in the model in that game. Um, then they have San Diego State, Oklahoma. Um, that's a that's a real tough uh, non-conference slate. Um, they, they get a little bit of a break in, in conference play. Uh, they don't have Washington this year, um, and it doesn't look like they have Oregon. But um, I, the, the model projects them at under six wins, five point five two, um, winning about you know a little over four wins in the Pac-12. I, I think the biggest question I have about UCLA. Uh, coming into this year is why didn't Thompson Robinson play more last season? Um, playing Wilton Spate made no sense. They weren't playing for a bowl pretty, you know, it was pretty er- evident early on in the season. They weren't um, not getting your top quarterback recruit. And really the only, the only quarterback that you have in your, in your QB room that, uh, you know, that you would look at and say is, is really, um, you know, power five level talent. Uh, he spent a lot of the season on the bench uh, when he was healthy. And I still have huge questions about this defense. Uh, Chip Kelly handled, you know, handed uh, defensive coordinator responsibilities off to his buddy, Jerry Azanaro. He hadn't, he hadn't called plays in over 12 years. Uh, and it, it kind of showed their defense was really bad last season. Um, and I, and I, I have, frankly, I have questions about the recruiting. I mean, I, I mean, the, the recruiting was. Ter- I mean, there's no way to understand. I mean, it was terrible. They're great on Wednesdays, um, right? Don't they recruit like once a week, or they're like, "Hey, Wednesday's sure. recruiting day." <laughs> um, so they didn't bring in a bunch of guys that you'd be really excited about seeing. Now you can argue. I mean, I think that it, you know, that there were parts of the offense that worked better than you expected last season. Uh, that said, I just I don't know what to I don't know what to make of UCLA. I, I think if I could see this team rolling out another four win campaign, um, given how tough the schedule is, but I could also see him, you know, you know, knocking off San Diego State uh, and and you know getting close, you know, down the stretch and you know playing an ugly slugfest against Cal to to finish out the season for for a shot at bowl eligibility. I'm not a big knee-jerk reaction person, and so um, I'm willing to give Kelly at least a year pass. But Max, the fact that he—I mean—he came in with this pedigree of being an offensive guy. He learned a lot in the NFL, and just the lack of uh, creativity until the end. I mean, again, we're, we're but in that very beginning, the I schedule let like, up in the end too. Yeah, that, that is true. But like, you you play with the cards that you're dealt, right? And so I know he casts a lot of these players aside because they, you know, for whatever reasons. But I was just stunned by the fact that they could not move the football. And this is Chip Kelly we're talking about. Um, did you get that impression, Max? 
No, I, I agree with you, but I also, um, I definitely think that there were some growing pains for sure. I mean, a Chip Kelly offense, it, it, I, it, I just felt that he made it more vanilla his first year, so that way his players could easily acclimate it, uh, acclimate to it. Um, but I guess my, uh, I'm just really not sure which Pac-12 team. Like, I, I think Utah is clear one, and I think USC is a pretty clear two. And then that three through six, I'm not a hundred percent sure how to rank it. If I, if like, gun to my head right now, like I'd say Arizona three, but I was just so put off by last year with Kevin Sumlin and that defense and, and really just like everything about that team. Um, Arizona State, I, I was actually very impressed with it in Herm Edwards' first year, but losing Manny Wilkins and um, Nikhil Harry is tough, even though they do return, you know, Benjamin. Um, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a if there's a Herm Edwards letdown in his second year, um, especially because I, I believe they're still doing. Um, yeah, they're definitely having a quarterback battle now. Like they had this uh, one guy uh, that was behind Wilkins for I, I think three years and Dylan Sterling Cole, but it just it doesn't sound like that he's been like he hasn't locked up his starting job yet, even though he's had so much experience as the backup. And then Colorado first year for Mel Tucker, obviously. And and like you were saying before, like there's definitely some like uh, Mike McIntyre didn't leave the cupboard barren. Like Stephen Montez, I can't believe he's still the quarterback there. It's felt like he's, he's like the Perry Ellis of Pac-12 quarterbacks. And obviously, Lucas uh, Chanel is one of the best wide receivers in the country. But I, I just don't. I, I think Colorado has some really strong individual pieces. I, I just don't know how well overall that that offense and defense um, total will, will fare. So I don't know. It's it's tough to like pick a third best team, but. That's why I guess it wouldn't surprise me if UCLA ended up being that. Because even though they did, you're right, they actually did have a poor recruiting class. But I still trust Chip Kelly more than any of the three other coaches that I referenced to uh, earlier. Well, let's swing over to Arizona and kind of close on that team. I'm just curious to get a third party perspective of how the team um, progressed. I think, you know, like any fan base, the fan base that you spend the most time with kind of tends to accept things. And there's a lot of group think when it comes to uh, the program, like obviously a five and seven end of the year was incredibly disappointing. You had Khalil Tate who didn't seem like he was on the same page as Kevin Sumlin and you had a lot of other things uh, just blow up. So what, what did you think of Arizona at the end of the year? Uh, Well, if I'm being, I I didn't, I don't think Khalil Tate was healthy. It's just, I, I, I can't believe like he, he didn't, he did not run like uh, the year before he was electrifying as a runner. And then this past season, it looked like, like he went out of his way not to run. And that just, I think that that like really zapped Arizona's potential on offense, even though they, I mean, they still have JJ Taylor and they, and they were still able to have like some big plays, but the big plays were definitely not where they were a year ago. And I was just really disappointed with, with the defense because I, I thought that, uh, they had a really young linebacking core that they all returned. And, and I thought that even though they were bad the year before, I thought they'd be able to make the step to like mediocrity. And, and that just never happened. I mean, that, that Washington state game last year, it seemed like <laughs> Washington state does sport on every play. So, and I mean, I don't know, just, some, I just feel like the chemistry between someone and Tate is definitely something to keep your eye on. Um, because I don't know, there was just something weird about 
last year. It was just very disappointing for sure. Rob, the step to mediocrity, that should be the, uh, the that should be our new <laughs> podcast name. Uh, <laughs> no, the, I mean, what Max says makes a decent amount of sense. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the big problem for Arizona was that uh, they were a Khalil Tate running game first offense the year before. Uh, and with Khalil Tate injured um, and also somewhat choosing not to run in when he was healthy in the two games, I'm, I'm pretty confident he was healthy. The BYU game and the Arizona State game to finish out the season. Um, he, he left some money on the table uh, on some zone reads and didn't take off. Um, but his if Khalil Tate isn't, you know, isn't threatening you with uh, taking off and running the football, it, it frees up your defense to do a lot more. And Arizona's offense just wasn't that wasn't wasn't that consistent when a defense was able to sort of uh, throw different looks at it. And you're, I mean, I, 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 I was shocked when Kevin Sumlin retained Marcel Yates as defensive coordinator. I thought he should have been, you know, packing his bags and moving along. But uh, yeah, there's there's Arizona fans have been waiting for that jump to mediocrity for a while. Uh, I could somewhat see it this season. The defense projects better they project to be up at number 67 in beta rank which would be like a very bad power five defense but that would be a huge step for arizona um they they don't project to get bowl eligible they're at 5.76 wins overall um and only 3.41 wins in the conference um so they they project a little better than i I believe colorado and i think it's mostly because of the schedule um but the the flip side is i mean i I think that there are some pieces that are interesting um i think harris on the defensive line uh could be poised for a breakout if arizona could get decent pressure uh which would be a first in since scooby Wright was there that could that could change things for that defense and uh i i wasn't that impressed with the wide receivers last season so you know change them out bring in some you know faster guys with like booby curry who are, are also taller Things could things could change, and Khalil Tate could be more comfortable. The, the main thing is if, if Khalil Tate gets his uh, his completion percentage up, I think this offense could be a, 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 a take a big step forward. But I, when I say big step forward for Arizona, it's like bowl eligibility and seven wins. Like that would that's probably their ceiling at this at this point this season. Right on. Hey, well, so you guys, yeah. Oh, I was going to say you guys would know uh, this better than I would, but it just seemed like last year Tate would just take so many deep shots. And they weren't really utilizing, they weren't really utilizing like the shorter intermediate pass game, and I feel like that's why his completion percentage for the large, or for the most part, is is, is so poor. I guess would be, but that that would just be my neutral observation is that they they just so many low upside throws with all these deep shots, and they they should have been attacking the middle of the field more and. Th- I think some of it falls on the scheme, but other it's, it's Tate's decision-making. Maybe he wants to prove to the NFL that he has the arm, but that, that whole uh, aspect was just really uh, befuddling to me. Well, I I put it this way. So, uh, and we're laughing because you're totally right. And and that was just all frustration. Just throwing at the microphone at that front. Um, You've seen Noel Mazzoni as an offensive coordinator in a number of Pac-12 programs. How many quarterbacks do you remember where he was play calling, shoot the ball down the field every third play? I mean, he didn't do it at UCLA. He didn't do it at ASU. Uh, I, I think that's decision-making on Khalil Tate. It, he tended to play hero ball at times, and that was really frustrating because, like you mentioned, if you get the intermediate passing game going, it opens up a lot of other things. And, yeah, just, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think we're just laughing in agreement, right, Rob? Yeah, I, I mean, part of it is that, you know, Tate, you know, the, the – 
they weren't dropping back into vanilla zone because they were worried about Tate running. And uh, there is the question of, you know, was there, were Arizona's receivers able to get open on some of those intermediate routes? But, you know, you could cover Sean Poindexter or some of the other Arizona wide receivers in single coverage. And Tate never seemed to quite grasp that. And he would throw those long bombs, um, you know, out in the single coverage. And, you know, Arizona receivers were going up and getting those balls. And sometimes Tate wasn't even that accurate. I mean, but Max, to your point, I mean, like there was a point in the BYU game, I think, on three straight drives ended on a Tate deep shot that was an incompletion. It was just maddening to watch. Oh, I was going to say, and it would definitely be different if, like, there was, like, the threat, even, like, a slight threat of Tate running, because then, like, you'd have to send, like, most of your secondary deep, and then maybe, like, you'd have one spy and Tate would be able to outrun them. But that combination of the fact that he didn't run it and he kept on chucking deep shots, it just it turned Arizona's offense in, into a shell of what it was. And it's not fun to watch. I mean, that's the big oh. you see. It's like watching Brandon Dawkins throw the ball, basically. You might as well just have him back there doing the same thing. Um, and, and, I mean, hopefully, look, Rob's numbers have Arizona around six wins. Um, you, you know, you have us in the in the third-ish range in the Pac-12 South. That sounds good. I mean, I think the, the biggest question is what is Khalil Tate next year if Khalil Tate is what he was two years ago um, then Arizona clearly does better if he's not there then um, then we're gonna struggle to score and our defense isn't good so good luck <laughs> so, um, just really curious to see how that unfolds and hopefully Tate steps it up and it's a, a good program but uh, at want to get you out under an hour here Max um, so you it sounds like you like the Utah over at eight and a half what are some other bets that you saw or games of the year or season win totals that stood out for you before we let you go here um, I w- I'm really I know Oregon they have a phenomenal offensive line and, and Herbert is really strong uh, and they definitely have some pieces on defense but that's going to be a team that I fade because I, I think that they're going to be overvalued um, people love betting on teams with like really strong quarterbacks and, and Herbert is good. It's just that the, the play calling that Oregon uh, gave him like throughout most of last season, it was so confusing. Like they just, they ran the ball a lot and it, and it wasn't, it was like, you know, like straight up the middle run. It wasn't like any, anything creative. Um, and then the D and I just think I I've always been a huge Jim Levitt fan. I think that uh, he elevates, uh, defenses above their talent level, and I think his departure is actually a huge loss. So I, I don't. I think that Oregon's defense is really going to struggle, despite having some of those really talented pieces. Um, and I know that people are saying that Oregon should be the Pac-12 favorite, but I wouldn't even have them as the favorite in their own division, let alone the conference or, or a college football playoff contender. Do you see that Wazoo is uh, slated to win ten wins at their season win total this year? No, Wazoo or Washington? Wazoo, both of them. They're both at 10. What? Unless no, uh, no, oh, no, 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 no. Okay, so I actually I saw that I saw that as well in the ESPN article, and, and I looked at DraftKings before coming on, and it's, and it's 8. It's oh. minus 110. <laughs> because I was like, there's no way that's right. But even, even the Washington win total at 10, I thought was, I mean, obviously heavily juiced toward the under. Yeah. But I thought that that was insane. 167 on the under. I mean, like, you might as well make that nine and a half at this point, right? Yeah, but I was going to say, like, um, Wazoo's interesting because I, I, I really hate to doubt Mike Leach, but they have to play Washington, Utah, and Oregon all on the road, and that's really tough. Yeah, that's brutal. Uh, it just seems that that team, every year you think they're going to be good, 
they're not that great. And every year they're like, I don't know. They really have the pieces. They end up winning like nine to 10 games. So I, I just, it's fun because it's one of the more fun programs. Uh, he has his um, insurgent warfare class where they're tweeting out pictures of the Vietnam war, like right literally on the same slide as the, you know, USC um, Wazoo game at the Palouse that they ended up winning. It's just that guy's, that guy's amazing. I'm really, really excited to see what he does. And uh, hopefully, hopefully he keeps the tweets you know, in line with reality this time, but uh, I, I doubt it. So, <laughs> um, any other questions that you have, Max? Uh, when does football start? Because oh. it, it feels like a long time. No, I, I'm I'm good. No, I really appreciate you guys having me on, and, and I, I thought this was a great discussion. I, I I learned a lot, and it's definitely always fun talking gambling as well. Rob, you got a. You got. I've, I've been stepping over you a lot. This uh, I'm just always excited to have Max on. So. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, like, there's, it's, it's a, even if you took, I, I think Utah is a clear favorite in the South. I think it's interesting in the North. There's not really a clear favorite. Oregon, Beta Rank likes them the most, but, you know, with, I, I agree. I really like Jim Lovett. Um, I have questions about that. I also, who catches the ball with Dylan Mitchell gone? Um, you know, they, Oregon struggled. Uh, last season on offense and Herbert struggled with his completion percentage for the second year in a row. Uh, that said, Washington, if you want to go jump on that train, they rank 130 in, out of 130 in returning production on defense. Yep. So oh they, I, know. I, mean, I, I know. And they're, they're, and they're, and they're play calling on offense last season with uh, Smith going to be the head coach at Oregon state. I don't think it was nearly as good on offense. I mean, they bring a lot back on offense, but, they also lose Browning and, and, and Gaskin, and I'm not sold on the the offensive play calling. Stanford brutal schedule, um, you know, it's the North. The North's a big toss up to me. I mean, the 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 one sort of consistent unit that you look across the North and see is maybe Cal's defense, but their offense is just so bad. I'm <laughs> so, and especially I mean, especially if they put in Brandon McIlwain. I mean, he was he was the collegiate Nathan Peterman last year. It was unbelievable. <laughs> was. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm curious to see if Utah is. Do you do you uh, does anybody have like the the odds to win the Pac-12 outright? I couldn't find them. Oh, I I didn't see those yet, but I I really I really think that Utah is the best team in the Pac-12. And no, I mean, like you said, like I like it pains me to think that like. I prefer Washington over Oregon, but I'm just really not. Utah is the only team that I'm sold on. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of media, I think it's going to be a lot of mediocrity this year. They Again, get they get a clear path. No shocker. Yeah, they get a clear clear path to the South, right? I mean, in theory, and now they just have to beat Washington or Oregon. Like, if you can get two to one, I mean, which I, you probably will be on on Utah. Anyway, that, that's definitely something to keep an eye on because uh, I just think that is a pretty solid, solid team this year. Um, cool. Well, hey, guys, thank you for coming on. Uh, Max, appreciate your time. Where can people find you? What's going on at SI Gambling? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's basically my off season right now um, before, like, I guess we roll out all the college football and NFL previews. But uh, you can find me at, at the Max Meyer on Twitter, and then you can find SI Gambling at, at SI Gambling, or you can go to Sports Illustrated's website and look at the, and look for the gambling tab there. Um, actually, well, I guess well a piece that's coming out tonight because uh, May 14th is the one year uh, anniversary of the Supreme Court legalizing uh, sports betting. So I actually uh, talked with the DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins, and I have an interview with him discussing um, wh- how like. Uh, what that day means to him, 
where does he think the future of sports betting will go? Like uh, his big innovation and even like looking at like the, the, the Fox uh, launching of their app and, and how that could change uh, media and sports betting uh, at that intersection. And so that, that piece will be up actually in, in about 30 minutes. Nice. Yeah. And that's a crazy front. So we'll make sure to, to pass that out both on the Wildcat Radio uh, Twitter account and on our 12-pack radio Twitter account. And well, that, that's really cool. Um, I live in Washington, so they're just about to move towards uh, uh, doing some sports betting. So pretty excited about that. And obviously, Oregon, I think, is moving on that front. So a lot of good stuff here at the Northwest. Rob's still in conservative Ohio, so we'll see if they jump on the train out there. But we'll find out. Oh, no. Even even the governor who has like nine kids, like I'm not joking, he really does have nine kids, um, and is a pretty conservative Republican, came out and said, "Sports betting's coming. Get prepared." So oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers, like before college football, so I'm not having to like drive to West Virginia. State with the Let's most uh, college football programs, so uh, lots to benefit from there out there in Ohio. <laughs> I think the most most Division one teams. Um, Cool. Well, well um, and, and by the way, a great follow. Like Max really knows his stuff, as you can tell. He's a big Pac-12 fan, but also just uh, you, you're doing a really good job building out that that uh, presence for Sports Illustrated. I'm really glad that they is a really good hire on there. And so um, definitely follow him. And uh, we will we will stay up on what's going on in the coming weeks. And we look forward to catching you guys on Wednesday.